Hey guys, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name is Jesse. I had a lot of scheduling conflicts this week, and I wasn't able to record this episode uh, in the studio. And so it's not ideal, and it might sound a little different, but I, I just used my office where I work and a little, little microphone I could clip onto my collar. So we just had to make apples with oranges. That's not it. We had to make orange juice with uh, lemonade, with lemons. I don't know. We had to do something different, and we did something different. Uh, Today, we are continuing our series in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. That's where we left off last week. And we're going to take this study up to verse 24, to the the very end of chapter 1, starting chapter 2. So that's our goal for today. And... Let's, uh, let's jump into it. In the introduction of this letter, Paul sets the groundwork for the defense of his authority and for the defense of his message that he had shared with the Galatians. It appears that there were people in the churches around Galatia who were attacking Paul's authority and kind of minimizing his apostolic power. And so if Paul was shown to have little authority, then the message that he had shared with them, it would also have (laughs) like a a decreased amount of absoluteness. Like someone else could come along and add to it and and make it better. So Paul defends himself and his message really by drenching his words and his rebukes with the very heart of his message. Like, listen to this. This is from Galatians chapter 1, starts with verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Uh, Along with verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some people who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's words are dripping with the doctrine of the gospel. That was the message that he had shared with the Galatians. So what he's doing here is kind of multifaceted. He's, he's reminding them of the gospel that he had shared with them, He's establishing it as the only gospel, and he's offering correction with it to the the teachings that they had turned to. Then Paul exercised his authority by saying that if anyone else taught a different gospel, then they should be cursed by God. And man, this is a, a loaded statement, because Paul is using this pronouncement of a curse as a way to demonstrate his authority and also it's to call out a teaching that that we could comfortably assume was being taught to the Galatians. The 
Galatians were struggling with keeping certain Old Testament laws. Now, these laws were important for the Mosaic Covenant, but they were now superseded by Jesus' new covenant that he established. And a group of people who appear to belong to a group called the Circumcision Party, but I don't know about you, but I mean, that just doesn't sound like much of a party to me. But they were trying to make the gospel better, if you will, by including certain observances of the law. In the Old Testament, there were blessings and cursings attached to the covenantal law. And we can only imagine that this would have been mentioned to the Galatians as a way to promote or, or instill fear into them so that they would follow this, this better version of the gospel. I, you know, I just realized you can't see my air quotes. It, uh, it's not a, a better version of the gospel. It's, it's a distortion, as, as Paul says. I, I'm just putting that out there for clarification. I just remembered that. I just remembered you can't see me. Anyhow, so Paul declares a curse of his own, saying if anyone changes the gospel, then they should be accursed. The next thing he says is in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He also wouldn't have pronounced a curse against the people he's trying to reach with this letter. He goes on to say in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, again, like we, we mentioned this last week, but I want you to notice how Paul called them brothers. Now, this, this isn't a biological relationship because, well, actually, in, in the next statement that Paul makes, he talks about his Jewish heritage. And the Galatians, they were from a region in, in the middle of Asia Minor. What's that? That's modern-day Turkey. They, they had their own culture. They had their own heritage. They, they were not biologically related. But Paul calls them brothers because of a gospel doctrine about how believers are considered brothers and sisters in the family of God. This is hinted at when Jesus rose from the dead, and he said, he was talking with Mary Magdalene. He said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers, he's talking about the disciples there, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So, Theologically speaking, those who have been saved through Jesus, who have, have been adopted through Jesus' sacrificial payment, which satisfies God's righteous wrath towards sin, and we are now considered like a, like a legal family member of God. So this isn't a biological relation. This is a spiritual connection. And Paul is using it to reach out to the Galatians. I would have you know, brothers, 
that the gospel that was preached by me to you is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul is referring to the time when Jesus appeared to him while Paul was persecuting the church. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. Paul was on his way to a, a town called Damascus, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to persecute Christians there. But before he arrived, Jesus came, like, came to him in his risen form and confronted him, saying with his Hebrew name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul, also Saul, but <laughs> he was a respected member of the Jewish religious system. If, if degrees and doctorates were a thing back then, he would have had all of them. He was so invested in the legalism of Judaism. Verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now, the, the traditions of my fathers, this, this is probably, most likely, this is a reference to the traditions of the elders, which were the, the oral laws or the, the spoken laws that were made in order to apply the Mosaic law and its institutions to new circumstances. You know, actually, Jesus disregarded these laws during his earthly ministry because he said that they undermined the intent that God had purposed the law for. I'll, I'll read it. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained for me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you are no longer permitted, or you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things that you do. So Paul, he, he was a student under a revered rabbi named Gamaliel. And these are things that he would have studied. He was a Pharisee. He, he was a, a scholar of the Old Testament law and its writings. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as that's how he put it once. Actually, let's just look at that. You know, that's a good, good thing to look at. Paul kind of expands on this in, in another letter that he wrote. He wrote this one to the, uh, to the Philippians, people at Philippi. Uh, it's in chapter 3. <clears throat> look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus and, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, this is Paul writing, 
I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, <laughs> I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the tradition of my people, Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and share the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was a zealot in the sense that he lived out his beliefs fiercely. He was well-educated. He studied under a prestigious rabbi. He knew the covenantal law really well. To be honest, he probably had it memorized. He opposed the church of Christ with an enmity and a violence that was just unparalleled. Nobody taught him the gospel of Christ, but everyone he had learned under had taught him the gospel of man. Paul was given the gospel of Christ through a revelation of Jesus. Galatians 1.15 But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, who was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia, and then later I returned again to Damascus. God had purposed this revelation for Paul before he was even born. So this is Paul's claim. I was called out from the way I was living my life by God, who has purposed me, before I was even born, to preach Jesus' gospel to you, those of Galatia and, and other Gentiles. And he emphasizes that it was solely God who commissioned him by adding that he, he didn't go to the apostles in Jerusalem in order to receive approval from them, Paul says he ran away to Arabia by himself. And after he had time to think through things and, and meditate, he came back to Damascus and started preaching in the synagogues. So, so this was Paul's defense for his authority. God called me to preach to you, and I do not present to you a gospel message made by man, because I, I didn't receive it from a simple man. I received it from Jesus himself. I am preaching Jesus' gospel. And if that was truly the case, then there's no wiggle room for 
additions to this message. To really drive that home, Paul then explains the, the interactions that he did have with the apostles and how they responded to God's call on his life. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles, except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea who are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So, three years after Paul's conversion, he makes his way to Jerusalem, where the apostles were. Now, travel was a, was a lot slower in Paul's time, I, that's for sure, considered our time, how fast we can travel. But even for Paul, three years is an excessive amount of time to go from Damascus to Jerusalem. So, it's clear that this visit was not an immediate priority. And in regard to his emphasis, when he said, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. This seems to indicate that there could have been a, a particular accusation that he was defending himself from. Like, maybe he had gone to the apostles to be approved immediately. Again, this is like listening to one side of the conversation, so we're speculating. But it's clear that he's giving a thorough defense of himself with history that could be verified. Now, Paul says that he met with Peter. Well, actually, he says he met with Cephas, uh, which is Aramaic for stone or rock. It's, it's what Jesus named him in John chapter 1, verse 41. And it's later revealed why Jesus names him that, because it says in Matthew, uh, verse, chapter 16, verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He made a confession. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, the Greek translation of Cephas, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's, there's two different opinions and interpretations about this specific passage, about the church being built on a rock. But my purpose in presenting it to you is to show how Peter was considered to be uh, important. Even among the apostles, he was a leading voice among them, and he had a prominent role in the church leadership. His name really emphasized that. Now, to be clear, this... This metaphor of, uh, of like foundational material, it was also used of, of Christ. Jesus was prophesied to be the cornerstone in Isaiah. And Paul used this idea in another letter that he wrote to uh, the Ephesians, people who lived in a city called Ephesus. So then, you, the, the Ephesians, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
Okay, I want you to notice the symbolic imagery here. Household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the the cornerstone was important, integral to construction because from it came a structure. The cornerstone guided the placement of every other stone so that everything was all in alignment. And Paul is taking this idea of construction and he's using it to help illustrate the structure of the early church. He said that the household of God was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So the idea is that the apostles and prophets follow Jesus' lead as the cornerstone who guides their teachings and keeps their, their direction and their correction in alignment with God's will. From the cornerstone comes the foundation, which supports the structure. Now, I think Paul referred to Peter with his Aramaic name purposefully, because later in chapter 2 of this verse, not 10 verses later, he calls him Peter multiple times, which is what he is typically referred to as. Now, I think Paul's purpose in using Cephas, the the Aramaic word for rock, in, in this moment, it could be to add emphasis to the apostles' role of being the foundation of the church following Jesus' lead as the cornerstone. And particularly in the context of Paul's defense, he may be noting how Peter, or Cephas, is an important part of that foundation. Because remember, Paul introduced himself as an apostle. And so he's equating himself with these important foundation makers. So he goes to Jerusalem, he meets with Peter and Jesus' brother, James. Notice how there is a distinction given, explaining that this is a blood relative. It's not brother James in the family of God type sense. It's Jesus' brother, James. Now, James, he wasn't an apostle. There, there was an apostle named James, but he's not this person, this person who's being talked about. Both Peter and this James were important figureheads in the early church, especially in Jerusalem. So Paul met with two important people within the church, Peter, a prominent apostle, and James, Jesus' brother. Now, with this information, one could hardly say that Paul went to Jerusalem and had a membership meeting with the apostles. Like, they, they didn't hold a council with him and induct him into the apostolic ministry. He, he didn't even meet all of them. Paul didn't go to Jerusalem to be commissioned by the apostles to be an apostle. In fact, he started preaching in Jerusalem. He wasn't there to receive instruction. He was there to offer it. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except 
James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul's preaching in Jerusalem, uh, it got him into some trouble because some people who lived there wanted to kill him. So he fled to a place called, a town called Caesarea, and then he went up to Tarsus. And those are towns in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. He was only in Jerusalem for 15 days. The churches in the area, they didn't even get a chance to meet him. They just heard about him. And really, 15 days is not enough time for a, a crash course in apostolic ministries. Paul did not go to Jerusalem for teaching and instruction from the apostles in order to eventually be trained and, and to become an apostle. Paul had already been called out by God and given a message to share. Not a message made by man, but a gospel given by Jesus Christ. What this means is that Paul's authority to preach was given to him by God, not by men. And if Paul was preaching a message that God had given him, then there was no wiggle room for making it better. Next week, we're going to see how Paul defends the message that he shared with the Galatians. Today's passage focused a lot on Paul's defense of himself, and that will be important for us to carry into next week's lesson. So to recap, I guess Paul has established himself with verifiable history that he was an apostle, and as an apostle, he was part of the foundation of the household of God, meaning that his, his direction and his correction uh, were... I guess, I, I guess uh, ordained by God and, and divine in nature. Paul was sharing with that a divine message and building up the church into what it needed to be. So next week, we'll enter into chapter 2 and we'll work our way uh, through the verses up to verse 10. So until then, I'll catch you later.